Amen. Turn with me to John 10. Hey guys, this is Pastor Zach, and you are listening to Sermon Notes here at HBC. And I figured out after Daniel preached that hard message last week, I figured out the key. The key is have one of the other pastors preach the hard messages, and you just get to preach the fun ones. And so I think that's what we're going to do. So we're just going to let everybody else preach. the. Di- I'm just kidding. But I do, um, I do appreciate those of you who will take a hard message like Job, and uh, especially when you're in a Job season, and, uh, and be able to worship and pray and get into that word and let it um, speak to you. So John 10, I think this is going to be our last message out of John 10 for a little while. Um, but... If you have missed the last, um, I guess, three weeks, uh, then we've started, we started at John 10, the, the verse one, and we spent two weeks just going through the first like five verses. Um, so we're going to just cover the next five or so and see what the Lord has. So Jesus is, uh, he's talking to his followers, but in, the, in, a, in a room with Pharisees as well. And he's, he's doing some teaching, he's doing some preaching, um, and he's kind of revealing who he is as the son of God, as the only way, as the shepherd. He's affirming his deity, and this is kind of new. He's not, he hasn't really been outspoken a bit about that part, that he is the son of God until now. And as we see it start to unfold, we realize that um, Jesus pays close attention to timing. Amen? So I just want to uh, catch you up. He says that uh, he's the shepherd and that anybody who doesn't come through the door, anybody who comes over the wall is a thief and a robber, but he's the shepherd, and the doorkeeper lets him in, and the sheep know his voice. And so we've talked a lot about that. If you've missed that and you want to catch up, you can go back. Those um, services are archived. Thank you, uh, Dave LeBeau. They're all on our YouTube channel. But at the end of this sort of metaphor, uh, he says this, it, I'm sorry, the, the John, record, John records it this way in verse six. This figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, the whole figure of like the shepherd and the sheep and the pasture and the door. So this figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were, which he had been saying to them. So Jesus said to them again, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Verse eight, all who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. All right, so the first note that I want to make here is that Jesus uses figures of speech. And they didn't always work. I think, you know, 2,000 years later, we read the teachings of Jesus, and it's like we've got all these commentaries and all these sermons, and we've had, you know, Sunday school growing up, and we've had, uh, you know, all these different things sort of invested in understanding the teachings of Jesus, which, by the way, doesn't mean that even people with seminary degrees really fully understand everything that he was saying. But what it does mean is that we've got a lot more to go with it. 
Jesus was saying what he was saying for the very first time. People were hearing this stuff for the very first time. And when he would say things like, hey, uh, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you have no part in the kingdom. He was saying things like this and people were like, what? This is blasphemy. We need to stone this guy. And uh, I think that it's important for us to understand, especially um, as the Lord sort of turns us out, deploying us into the world, it's important for us to understand that Jesus took a risk when he taught. And I believe that anytime we are walking by the Spirit, evangelizing, Steve, maybe you can uh, attest to this, we're taking a risk. If you're, if you're looking for a risk-free way of sharing the gospel, it's not there. If it's not risky, then you're probably not doing it right. It's risky. You might offend somebody. You, you, might, you might have what seems like a negative response. Now, we have all these promises that, you know, the word never returns void. We have these things that, you know, when we cast these things on the water, we understand this truth, this gospel, this salvation. We know that the Lord can do something with it. But if, if we're looking for that immediate result with our own eyes, you're not always going to see it. Jesus uses figures of speech, and they didn't always work. And when they didn't, this is really important too, he tried another way. Just appreciate with me Jesus in his frustration. Appreciate, you know, even his own followers who walked with him for several years before he ascended into heaven. And in that time, hearing every breath that came out of his mouth so close that they could touch him, so close that they were picking up the dust off the back of his sandals. And yet even then, they were missing some of the most important eternal truths that he was trying to impart. But Jesus tried again. He tried it in another way. He didn't just keep doing the same thing over and over. He tried it another way. That would be, what do they call it? The definition of insanity. And some of us, some of us in this room this morning, you're still trying to figure out if Jesus was a madman or not. I think there are, a lot of, there are a lot of versions of religion, and even, dare I say it, I don't even want to associate it with Christianity, but I'll say um, brands of Christianity, bootleg brands of Christianity that acknowledge Jesus as a good man, as a prophet, as a healer, as a some sort of fortune teller or doer of justice and good deeds, but won't acknowledge him as the son of God. Why is this so important to know? Because here's the deal. Either Jesus really was the only way into heaven or he was a complete stark raving lunatic. There is no good man, prophet, you know, oh, he was like a lot of other prophets, like Muhammad and a lot of these other guys who were, you know, going around and, and, you know, doing good. No, all the goodness of Jesus was the byproduct of the fact that he was God incarnate. He was the son of God, okay? Like born of a virgin, okay? And if we're not willing to accept that, then none of the rest of this really makes sense or matters. 
So I wanna encourage you as you're wrestling with that, know this, that there's no room in this word, there's no room in our faith for some watered down, you know, uh, half-baked version of Jesus as a friend of sinners, a teacher, but not really who he says he was. So as that man, still fully God, but still fully human and fully frustrated with a people who can't set aside their religion and their legalism long enough to really hear something fresh and something true, so what does he do? It says he tries it again. This figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which had been saying to them. So Jesus said to them again. And if you pay attention, what he's saying is not the same thing. He's switching it up. He's shifting the metaphor and he's trying it a different way. We're gonna talk about what the difference was here in just a minute. Paul comes on the scene a few years later, and he uh, describes himself as, uh, you know, trying to be all things to all men that he might win some. And Jesus really sets the standard for all things to all men. Even though he acknowledges the difference between himself and John the Baptist, saying John the Baptist came, you know, out in the desert, you know, uh, eating locusts and honey, and I come to you eating and drinking at your parties and your social gatherings. He's saying there's a difference here, but he came being willing before the Father to speak in whatever metaphor was required for the room. And I think for some of us as believers, we've got, we've got to receive that discernment to read the room. We've got to understand if people are getting what we're saying or if they're just getting as frustrated as we are, if they're getting as confused as we are of why they don't get it. And if that's the case, if we're walking in that sensitivity, then we need to be able to flip the script a little bit and try something else. That's why I've never been a big fan of um, scripted evangelism. I've never been a big fan of like, okay, you know, even things like the Romans road, uh, even though that one's pretty good because it's just scripture. But usually we, we find these lines where, you know, we ask people these sort of scripted, uh, memorized things, and that becomes our engagement with the lost is just memorizing and understanding the same thing that somebody said to us. Now we're trying to say to somebody else instead of it coming from a real place of transformation in our lives. And so, saints, I want to encourage you, the power that you carry in this world does not come from a script. The power that you carry is your testimony. We overcame by the blood of the Lamb and our testimony. So we overcome the bondage and the loss. We bind up broken hearts by the power of the blood and our testimony. You see how it works? I got to get to this message, so stop interrupting me. I'm just kidding. All things to all men means expanding our palate a little bit. Being willing to accept that the Lord may want to say something through you that you might not even be comfortable saying. Well, this worked in the 80s. Behold, he's doing a new thing. So he goes on to say, I am the door. So first he was the shepherd and now he's the door. 
Let's talk about this for a minute because I think it's important to understand that Jesus was acknowledging two different groups of people. He was the shepherd for the lowly, the ones who are already aware of their place, broken, humbled, addicted, tormented, oppressed, in bondage. This group of people were already despised by the world, so they understood who they were through a, through a broken filter already. So to those, he is saying, I am a shepherd. To those, he is hearkening back to the words of David, saying, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall. By the way, David's saying that before anybody understood, before Jesus, Jesus is using David's metaphor to describe himself. This is really cool. We don't have time to do it right now. Oh, but it's so good. Maybe like one more week, one more week after this week. We'll see what happens. One more week. But like a few more days construction. <laughs> a couple more days. Uh, here's what's important to get from this right now. He was a shepherd for those who were willing to accept the fact that they needed a shepherd. We all need a shepherd, but we're not all willing to accept the fact that we need a shepherd. For the broken and the lost in the room this morning, for the ones who are struggling, for the ones who feel like they're under attack, for the ones who have wolves and lions and tigers and bears, oh my, lurking around their, their home, lurking around their minds, he is a shepherd and his rod and his staff will comfort you. And he has prepared a table before you right there in the presence of that mess and he will nourish you. He will lead you in, in pastures and beside still waters. But for those in the room who don't think they need a shepherd, for those in the room who are more concerned with just uh, the black and white, wrong and right, legal matter of this and that, Jesus says, I am the door. I am the door. For the lowly, I am the shepherd. And for the lofty, I am the door. Because see, as a Pharisee, both in Jesus' day and in 2024, as a Pharisee, we, we feel, and in, in, in fact, a lot of times, we take pride in the fact that we don't need, that we are independent, that we have made good decisions, and that we, uh, that we have walked in wisdom, and that we have followed statutes and commandments, and therefore our life is together. And so we're not constantly crying out, uh, you know, as a, as a victim, as a sheep, you know, because we were faithful to not leave the flock. And so we're here and we're good and we're doing our job and we're producing wool or whatever. And so from that place, Jesus says, okay, but for you, what you need to know is there's only one way in. There's only one way in. There's only one way to be a part of this thing and to remain a part of it for eternity. It's through the door, and I am the door. Now, if you can understand the Pharisees' thought process in this room, and maybe for some of you in the room, you, you err on this side, and it's not from a Pharisaical, legalistic, religious spirit. It's from a place of, no, I'm, I, I'm, I'm not the one that's always in need, like, it comes times for altar calls or prayer requests, and I, I don't have this like burning conviction that I need to be down there, that I need to be on my face. I feel like I'm walking upright with the Lord and everything is good. And this is 
why Jesus switches the script and talks to you as well. I am the door. I am the door. He goes on. Let's read this. I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door, and if anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. What's interesting is that in a lot of Jesus' metaphors and a lot of his parables and stories, if we're really honest with ourselves, we find that we can play multiple roles. You can put your feet in different people's shoes. You can be the one entrusting folks with, uh, you know, empowering people with talents. You can be the one receiving those talents. You can be the father waiting for the prodigal to come back. You can be the prodigal who's away. And you can be the older brother in the window judging all in the same season of life sometimes, if we're really honest with ourselves. And I think in this story, as Jesus lays this out, this picture, what we have to realize is that in a room full of people this morning who many, many of us in his providence, God has gathered folks here with hearts and callings and burdens for ministry. God has called people here to bring their ministries under the apostolic covering of this church. God has brought you here from afar, many of you. Many of you have have sold your homes and are moving closer to King's Academy and closer to the river and closer to his providence because there's this urge, there's this sense of urgency to to stay uh, invested in what God's doing in this community. Why? Because there's a call of ministry on your life. There's a burden to not just be here receiving, but to be here pouring out and being poured through. And I love this. One of my favorite things about this church, but with it comes the frustration of former seasons of ministry that have not yielded the fruit we feel they should have. Anybody? Anybody in the room? Come on. I, I, I looked back over... You know, my life, and I'm so grateful for uh, the, the, what God's done. But even, even in the last 13 years of the church, the, the only 13 years of the church, I guess, coming on 14 next month. Whoa. Wow. We start in 2011, 13 years next month? Yeah. Lucky 13, you know? Um, what, I, what, I, what I'm blown away by is how even in my own seasons, you see times when you say, man, how was I not better than that? How was I not walking more in the river than that? How was I not operating? How, how was that? Did that only produce the little bit of fruit that it did? Where are the rest of the fish that were in the net before I pulled it over the boat? You know? And, um, and I think that there's a reality to this frustration, and it, it brought a conviction in me to say, Where have I been calling with the voice of the Lord and where have I been calling with some other voice? Because if you read this from the perspective of the one calling, he says, he says, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. Saints, those who've been calling the world and haven't been heard might be calling with the wrong voice. Those who've been seeking a harvest, 
you know, we jump up and down. The, the, the harvest is great. The labors are few. And, you know, this is the time right now. And this is the revival. This is the end times thing. And this is all the lost. And everybody's ripe and, and primed and pruned and ready for the harvest. We get excited about that. But then I ask, where is it? Where is it? Has it been brought in? Because there's still a lot of empty churches in New England. Has it been brought in? Are we bringing in the sheaves? Remember that old song? Bringing in the sheaves. Tim, you wrote that song, didn't you? 1823. Bringing in the sheaves. It's a good song. What's interesting is I have to ask, what voice were we calling with? What voice? That Greek word for, um, for they didn't hear them, that Greek word is uh, akuo, and what it means is to give audience to. It doesn't mean that you literally didn't hear the sound of you know, somebody with a sandwich board on a street corner screaming, saying you're going to hell. It doesn't mean you don't literally hear it. It means that you're not giving audience to it. You're not paying it any attention. It's, it's become the, the boy who cries wolf. Why? Because a church has been calling without the power of the voice of God behind it. If you're writing things down, first of all, you've already missed a lot. I forgot to tell you. Um, <laughs> But if you're writing things down, you can write this down. When we walk in the fervency of the Spirit, we'll talk in the frequency of Jesus. When we walk in the fervency of the Spirit, then we'll talk in the frequency of the Spirit. I was talking to um, a good friend of mine the other day, and I'm hoping that you'll hear his testimony soon. And he shared with me about going away to um, a Christian rehab and how uh, in his intake at that place, he sat down and he said, God totally orchestrated it for him because of his, you know, social stuff that for whatever reason, it worked out that his intake was in front of a computer screen that wasn't even FaceTime. It was like you saw the two audio waves go by of his voice in a microphone and some, a counselor, an intake counselor on the other side, and you saw her voice come through. And so as he sits there in a room looking at this screen, and that's most people's intakes were in person, but his was just these two audio waves. And he talked about, and I just about lost it standing there listening to this story. He talked about how he says who he is. He says the first words, it was a, a woman, and she says, hi, my name is Brianna. And as she says her name and the audio wave goes across the screen, he said it, it hit him and he knew it was the voice of Jesus. Now, again, the Lord knew that he was somebody who might not be able to hear Jesus if he sees somebody else's face. But instead, he's watching this wavelength, this audio frequency roll by the computer screen. And he's hearing the sound waves of heaven. He's hearing the, the, the truth spoken out of Jesus's mouth. And it just happens to be coming through a young woman named Brianna. I love this. 
because it drives us back to that fervency, that passion, that desperation to be walking in the spirit. And saints, I'm gonna say it one more time, when we walk in the fervency, the New Testament's full of it, right? Walk in the spirit, not in the flesh. Walk in the light, like, you know, live by the spirit. There's all this instruction to do so. And we're like, well, is that so I behave myself? Is that so like I'm always convicted when I start to do something wrong? Well, it's for more than that. It's bigger than you. Walking in the fervency of the spirit will keep us talking in the frequency of Jesus. So he says, I'm the door. And if anyone enters through me, he'll be saved. Saints, he is the only one who should be let in and he's the only way in. So there are two things happening here. There's an entrance into our heart and then there's an entrance into heaven. And as the shepherd, when he says, I come in through the door and the doorkeeper lets me in, that's our heart. That's the heart of the bride. It's the heart of the believer. It's our lives allowing him to come in and and make changes to come in and stick out that shepherd's hook and pull us back from danger, to come in and to gather us, to come in and to lead us into pastures. So that's letting him in to us, a place of authority over us. The door that he's talking about now is this door before the Father. This is the Jesus who is the only way before the Father. This is the Jesus who is not just the truth and the life, but the way, the truth and the life. The only option if we want eternal life. This is that Jesus. And as he says it, as he reveals himself as such, it it brings us into sort of another interesting predicament. We love the idea of coming in, right? We love the idea. You've heard us preach on it here. Come boldly before the throne room. Come into the presence of God. Come into his glory. There's always this invitation here. You know, we start off worship most Sundays with this invitation. Yes, we want him to come into our hearts as well. And then we want us to go into the throne room, right? Take me to the throne room. It's a great song. But Jesus says this. He says, if anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. In and out? Wait a minute. We don't ever talk about going out. We only talk about coming in and then coming in and then coming in and then going deeper and then coming in and then the holy of holies, take me in. We don't ever say, take me out. We don't say that. We don't say that. But the truth is that it is possible to come in through Jesus and then to try to go out some other way. And this, my friends, is the real dilemma for the church today. Most of the uh, of evangelicalism, most of, uh, you know, churches like ours, you know, non-denominational, charismatic, Pentecostal churches. Um, we, there, you, most of churches like ours, in fact, I'll say reformed churches and, and uh, 
any, any Catholic churches, there's no getting around the Jesus is required to get in. You know, there are a lot of like, you know, postmodern liberal churches that are trying to deconstruct a lot of the gospel for the sake of making it increasingly comfortable and easy. This was never supposed to be easy, by the way. But getting in is the part that I think most of us get right. Most of us accept the fact, even if we haven't done it ourselves, we accept that, okay, I have to pray a prayer and accept that Jesus' death on the cross makes atonement for my sins. And because of that forgiveness, I can now spend eternity in heaven. I can come in through that sacrifice. But the issue is coming back out. The issue is how we're coming out. Um, Dave is in our office, Dave LeBeau. And um, we kind of all share an office right now. There's like, you know, about 27 of us or so in about 100 square feet of space there on the other side. And we all just kind of share offices with the babies now too. They're in there. And, uh, you know, anybody else, anybody from the SOS classes that are walking through that, you know, it's like a kind of a gathering place, like a bus station, similar to a bus station. And, um, and uh, you know, we do everything in there. And uh, Dave is sitting in there, Dave LeBeau, working on some other stuff. And, you know, I'm working on this and we're, you know, everybody's weighing in on things. And I said, uh, oh, I know what. We talked in our staff meeting about this message. And so as we're all in the office... Dave's like, Zach, he said it's like this. And I'm, I, may, I may butcher this. I don't have my phone because I actually quoted him on it. Um, maybe we can just make this our quote for today so somebody can get this right. But Dave says this. He says, Zach, if we try to get into the throne room without Jesus, then we're robbing ourselves. But if we try to get back into the world without Jesus through some other door, then we're robbing God. And he said it out loud, and I was like, whoa. This is a, this is a totally different issue. The reason why the church has, has accepted the idea of coming in through the door is because it's something for us. We want eternal life. When we try to get to God some other way through some crystal or some cave or some psychic or some, you know, uh, you know, backpack across the Middle East or whatever it is, sisterhood of the traveling pants, we, we try to get some other way, but we end up robbing ourselves of the real gift of being in his presence. So we're willing to do whatever we've got to do. We're willing to pray whatever prayer we have to pray so that we're not going to miss out. The problem is when we come back out of heaven, when we come back out of his presence, back out of the throne room, and we take any other means other than Jesus to approach the world, we are now robbing God. Well, we're way less concerned about robbing God. Doesn't he own a cattle on a thousand hills? He'll be fine. It's a dangerous place to be. If we come in through Jesus, but back out any other way, we become the thief and the robber. 
We become the one who's not using the door. We become the one who's looking for a weak place in the wall to enter back in, and now we're doing damage. Now we're taking something that doesn't belong to us. It's interesting, even the Father only sees the world through Jesus. Now we're going to get into a little theology. Don't tell Pastor Daniel. It's an inside joke if you were here last week. I know people have asked this question over the years, and maybe it's never entered your mind. I hope I'm not going to say this, and now you're going to be like confused by it forever. But um, we're going to bring some clarity to it anyway. But, but one of the questions that, you know, is associated with some of the, you know, the basic theological schisms is this idea of are, are sins forgiven before they're repented for? When we ask for forgiveness of sin, does it only cover past sin or does it cover future sin? It's so human. It's such a human controversy. Like, God doesn't struggle with this stuff. Here's, here's a news flash. Okay, so if you're asking, is sin that's been unrepented for, is it forgiven? I'll say this. Sin that hasn't been committed yet is forgiven. So, of course, sin that is unrepented for is forgiven. Jesus sees us, all of us, through the blood of Jesus. However, we don't come in to his presence unless we come in through Jesus. So there's this going out and this coming in, and, and he can see us all the way that he wants to see us. He says, for God so loved the whole world, right, that he gave Jesus. And when Jesus went to the cross, he took the sin of the whole world to the cross with him. All the sin, not just the sin you've asked forgiveness for, but all the sin. And here's what's clutch. We're really focused on our individual sins. But the father was really concerned about iniquity as a whole. I'll call it sinfulness, the nature of sin. And I'll say the disease of sin. And when it entered in the garden so many years back, what his, what his heart has been on is not this idea of like, oh, you did that, I saw that. That's what we think. We're like, I saw him. Mm, he smoked a cigarette. And he said he wasn't doing it no more. We get hung up on that stuff. The Lord sees us through Jesus. The heavenly father, that the, the creator, the sustainer of the world, the one in front of whom we will be judged, sees us through Jesus. However, we can only claim that eternal life if we have come in through that same door. See how it works? Okay. So now that we've cleared that up, if even the father sees us through Jesus, who are we to see the world through any other lens? Who are we to come back into this world through any other way other than that door? How are we retaining the sins of others when the Father doesn't even see it on us? Who are we? Is your eyesight that good? 
then you have a log in it. If you see that well, then you have a log in your eye. And this is where it becomes, this is, I believe, when we can get this part figured out, this is when we see the harvest. This is when we see our churches fill up and our altars fill up and our new believers classes fill up. This is when we see uh, the shift in the American church is when we can begin to see and engage the world back out the way we came through Jesus, through the blood of the lamb, those rose-colored glasses that are on God that, that he chooses to only acknowledge that we've all been covered. It's when we choose to acknowledge it that brings us in. And then when we choose to accept the fact that the world will not be changed by any other means other than that same blood that changed us. Okay, now in closing, if you would stand with me and I'll call Jamal up here because I love this last line, but we should be standing for it. He says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And again, if you were here a couple weeks ago when I first started preaching on this, I was talking about how my mom uh, had called me and the Lord had just dropped this word in her spirit about how we put a lot of emphasis on what the enemy has come to do. But that oftentimes we are not fully engaged in what Jesus is here to do. We understand destruction and death. We understand um, the stuff that Satan is here to do. And it's so prevalent. It's so easy to see it. But you can't say that first line without saying the second one. He came that we may have life and have it abundantly. These are two different things here. There's life an abundant life. You were never meant to just settle for one. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. To have life is to be alive, all right? But too many of us are just happy we're making it. <laughs> just happy that we woke up another morning with, okay, you know, here we go again. That's not abundant life. That word abundant life, I know, Pastor Kurt, you should be preaching this and not me. That word abundant, it actually, it's really interesting. It comes from a word that comes from a root that literally means beyond or the other side. What? My wife got onto me for a long time because uh, every time I was leaving to go on a trip somewhere, she'd be dropping me off the airport and I'd be like, all right, I'll see you on the other side. She's like, I don't want to hear that. And I'm like, you conspicuously took out a huge life insurance policy on me. It should be all right if I say see you on the other side. But the other side is what abundance looks like. Abundance doesn't look like you won't ever like have an issue. Okay? This is not a this is not a prosperity message. Abundance looks like what you do have, you got from the other side. What you do see, you saw it on the other side. What you say, you heard it from the other side. Abundant life 
is life that can only be obtained when you have gone through the door of Jesus Christ. I remember standing with Roger and Holly at their wedding in a Providence library on a warm February day, like four feet of snow on the ground. I remember standing there with him and, and as I had prayed about what to say in that, in that message, um, I felt like the Lord's greatest blessing from Roger's life is that he's been so diligent, not just to make it into the throne room, but to gather there that which could be brought back to this place we live in. For every season, for every interaction, Roger doesn't meet somebody that, that he hasn't already gotten something from God for. That comes not just from coming to the altars, that comes from not just getting in a quiet place, it comes from coming back through the gate, back through the door, back through Jesus. That's the life, that's the abundance. We're not gonna be a church that just survives. We are gonna be a church that thrives on the abundance that we receive from the presence of God. We are gonna be a church that lives not on bread alone, but on the words that can be heard when we gather before his feet, in his presence, at his throne. And I wanna encourage you, if you're in this place and you say, man, my life just doesn't look that great, you know what changes your life? is life from the other side. What changes your life is the truth that you hear out of his mouth, the frequency of, of his voice. That's what shifts. My buddy that was telling me that story, he said as soon as he heard the, the words and it felt like Jesus in him, freedom came over his life. Freedom from addiction, freedom from bondage, freedom, so, and he was delivered just from hearing the sound of the voice, the voice that spoke creation into existence is still speaking creatively over us. We've got to go in and get it, not just for ourselves, but for every day, every interaction, every relationship, every, every act of ministry, it has to be his voice. It has to be from his throne room. It has to be from him. Amen. Father, I thank you for the invitation to come boldly in. And I thank you for the blood of Jesus and the door, the way, the access point that we have. I thank you for a torn veil. Lord, but you know the church and you know that we are notorious for going in to get what we need but then thinking that what began in the spirit can somehow now be completed in the flesh as we try to engage this world some other way. Lord, I pray that we would be brought back to that place and funneled through as sheep are, are herded through a gate. God, that you would bring us back. Lord, our attention off the wall, off the, the place that we think we can, oh, I think I, I can do this. I can say this. I can get to this person. I think I've got a way in. Lord, you're the only way in and the only way out. 
And so, God, as we go in and out, Lord, may we be a church that finds pasture, that finds sustenance and finds abundance because of where we get it and from whom. And so, Lord, be blessed. We bless you, Lord. We bless you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord the power of your spirit and, and, and the fact that we don't have to have something that looks like church with no demonstration of power, but that we can speak with the voice of life, that we can touch with the hand of healing, that we can reach out and engage the way that we've been engaged through heaven, through Jesus, through you. So Lord, find us faithful. Find us transformed and transforming this world you've called us to. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Pastor Zach, and you've been listening to HPC Sermon Notes. Love you guys. God bless you, and have the best day of your life.